minds with the chip inside Like a Lincoln digitized out Which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise This is a neural interface We're gonna stick it in your face Still it in your brain and interlace There's an arms war on and we're gonna win the race Leave everything a race, bring the base Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Now, this is a special edition of DMP Tonight, a recording of an interview between Proface, BioStudios, and other fellow biohackers, in which this and Proface BioStudios is a co-op of biohackers located in Austin, Texas. Now they're discussing in detail dog-human genetic engineering viability. We want to thank them for allowing us to share this, the content of this conversation with you tonight. But before we share this talk with you, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So please check them out at DangerousThings.com. Also, we'd also like to thank uh, our other sponsor, Axiom VPN, which is our solution that we use to keep our traffic on the internet protected and private. To learn more about the services they provide, please go to axionvpn.com. And we look forward to using this solution, especially when we'll be at DEF CON at the end of this month, um, July 24th through 31st of 2017. Look forward to seeing you there. Now, if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of the Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us through email at info at dangerousminds.io, and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. <laughs> um, which, is, which is cool. I mean, like, I get it. I totally get it. Um, but, like, it's like, so one of the, so, um, so what, he, what he referenced was um, Avatar. Right, because they've got all those freaking glowing plants in Avatar. Right. And the thing, though, is that, like, in an environment where everything is glowing, the fact that you're glowing doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree. But in the environment, like, nothing, like, very few things glow. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and, above a certain threshold. Actually, a lot of things glow. Well, every, yeah, I, like up, above a certain threshold, there's there's like a there's like I mean like Foxfire is an excellent example, like that type of modification because it's 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 gentle, it's low level. He wants like he wants like P. Luke fucking <laughs> like boosh, like the flowers bloom and they illuminate the night, and I'm just like, dude, um. It would get bred out. It would get bred yeah, out. it would get bred out because everything that glowed would just get consumed. Right. Well, but no, well, if we're talking about pets here, like if you were just a mutant who just didn't glow, you would have such a metabolic advantage over those that did. Of course. Yeah. Like, like, if, just imagine the tree trying to glow while it's growing. So, like, it's yeah, right? and then gives off its own food. So if you were a tree that didn't glow in a glowing forest, you you'd be a badass. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and because you're photosynthesizing, you could probably use the other trees as, like, yeah. light sources. And, yeah, no, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. In the wild, it just it's not feasible. Right. Well, this is, like, so I, I used to live in Seattle. 
And the UW has an amazing uh, genetic engineering uh, plant biology lab there. And they routinely get firebombed by protesters. It's been less lately, I think. Um, you say fire, like, what firebomb? By routinely, how frequently? Um, back in the 90s, it was probably every two or three years. Okay. But maybe now it's like, every five years or what? Oh, no. It's <laughs> maybe like, like it, there hasn't been one since 2004, I think. You know, so, um, the whole fire? Like, like literally, Molotov. like Molotovs, like GMO people, man. Yeah, if they show up <laughs> in my house. They had better be packing. Yeah, that's bullshit. They come up to kill my dogs. I'm gonna be so fucking pissed. See, that's the thing, though. I don't think it's just not the same anymore. I don't, and I'm not complaining. Like, don't. I'm not being wistful about it. I'm just, <laughs> just. It's just not the same. Protesters just don't set shit on fire the way they used to. <laughs> right. No, no. Um. But, like, I mean, I think back in early 2000 or late 99, like, they burnt down the UW greenhouse because the, the UW was doing this really impressive knockout study with aspen trees. Right. And so it was like um, uh, they had these ash, aspen trees that were growing in corkscrew shape. Interesting. Because they had basically not, well, you know how, like, you've got that, like, type of willow that does the corkscrew growth? I didn't, but I do now. Okay, there is. Anyway, they they basically knocked out the please grow in a straight line gene. And so they had these okay. trees that grew in corkscrews. They had other trees that had, had, like, basically given up on being structurally sound. And so they were, like, like floppy aspens that, like, grew <laughs> up and then flopped over and then... Like, and a bunch of other really cool stuff because I mean, like, like as biologists, we understand that like the only way that we under understand things is by breaking them. You're like, oh, look, here's this broken thing. Oh, that's what that was supposed to do. Um, so it was really important research. Um, and somebody just burnt down the entire greenhouse. And the whole thing was about how, um, like, what if these aspens got released into the, like, what if the pollen got out there? And it's just like, dude, you know why there's no floppy aspen? It's because it's supposed <laughs> to be a floppy aspen. It's just like the stupidest, you're like the derpiest aspen ever. Like, you're not gonna survive. No, your, your genes are useless. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like people don't um, people don't understand like the basics of evolution and why that is ridiculous because it's like you know like you're talking about it. you can't just you can't just set something loose and it's gonna take over the whole fucking biosphere yeah like, the biosphere like there's so many mutations that happen every fucking day and if every mutation that came along took over the biosphere. We, we, the whole damn biosphere would be changing every couple of minutes. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I feel like, oh, y'all made a change. Now everything's going to be different. It's like, no, it's going to get bred out like the last time. Well, and the, and I, I guess technically, I'm uh, making sheet pans of kombucha, by the way. Pardon me. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I'm doing restriction digest, so it works. I, I, I noticed. Um, 
so I mean, technically, I guess one could posit that it's changing with every mutation, but then it, it's really more, it's, it's still the same outcome, which right. is like, yeah, every five minutes you've got some sort of wounder mutant that just gets <laughs> sick because it sucks. Right. Yeah, that's the, um, that's the thing. Like, that's why it's so ridiculous. And that's why we need better education, really. We need people to understand that this stuff isn't just fucking magic. You know? Yeah. It's really hard. Well, this is one of the reasons that I've, like, slid sideways from, like, I, I mean, I still have my solo projects. Right. But, like, um, we're in Florida now, and we're going to start a maker slash biohacker space down here. Because, you know, it is really important that people have, you know, this type of education. And especially, it's like, you want to do cool stuff. Right. Like, it's really hard to be one person trying to tell the FDA, hey, this thing's totally safe. But if you get a lot of people, if you develop a community, yeah. and I think that's what the bio, you know, biohacking movement is really trying to do. Um, but it's like, like science, like biology does not lend itself well to the GitHub model, <laughs> right. you know, right. like, there's the concept and, and Mac and I were talking about like this, like, and then there was another guy in the biohack, uh, Facebook group and something He's talking about, you know, like plasmid sharing libraries and stuff like that. I'm like, this is good, but it's it's also like after I thought about it, it feels really outdated. Yeah, in this, a way. this concept of like having like this is what they did in the Middle Ages. They like built big buildings and then they like kept their stuff safe and then they shipped it right. to each other and stuff like that. And that's that's like a a really um, non-organic way, I guess, is the best way to say it, of, um, of, of trying to do that. And we've, we've seen how that worked, and it worked fairly well then, but things don't, things aren't moving at that speed. Right. I think, I think we need to try something different. I'm not 100% sure what it is yet, but, but that is definitely the, uh, the, right. And I've had similar thoughts because it's like, sorry, I'm half distracted here. I'll be done. No, that's okay. Incubating for an hour. Um, so like, yeah, I've had similar thoughts because the problem is like, DNA has fundamentally different properties than a lot of this stuff. Like, like, okay. Them trying to shoehorn all these drug laws to cover. Mm -hmm. genetic. It's absolutely senseless because DNA, so like what's the pharmaceutical model, right? So these laws were designed to control pharmaceutical companies. Right. And if you want to stop a pharmaceutical company, you walk up to them, you put a chain on the factory door, you go arrest the CEO and take him to jail. They right. But chemistry and biology are intrinsically different in as much as that, like, because I worked, so I was getting my degree in molecular biology, but I was working in a chemical engineering lab. And so you, they don't actually have to take any biology to get their degree. 
So I was talking with grad students who didn't understand like some of the basic principles of how bacteria functioned. Oh, that's kind of scary. And they're, they're making surface coatings that were supposed to either be like non-toxic or bacteria resistant or something else like that. And I'm like, okay, so the bacteria lands on your surface or a surface. Say you've got a piece of metal in the ocean, right? right. And a bacteria like adheres to it. What happens next? And they're like, well, the bacteria, it's like a little, it's like a dot, right? It's just kind of, <laughs> and, and I'm like, you have been through five years of college, dude. What is going on? Um, and so I actually ended up spending a lot of my time teaching chemists, like how to do like intro to micro. Right. It's like, okay, we're going to do a streak test, right? We're going right. to learn some aseptic technique, streak some plates. It's like two o'clock in the afternoon. They're like, okay, now what? And I'm like, well, they need to incubate. So uh, I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they were blown away by this, the, the lack of control. Right. You yeah, know? Like you're at their mercy. Yeah. And, like, if you stop a reaction, the chemistry is so sweet. You can stop a reaction. The reaction just stops, and it'll sit there. Right. Biology, it'll degrade. It'll grow. It'll fucking mutate. Do something, yeah, die. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but like, my biggest struggle has been I've been talking with a lot of people who are programmers lately, right? And they are convinced that you know, code and DNA, they're just like besties. They're like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hack DNA the way that we hack. Like, dude, like, I've been doing this for a decade. I have no idea. What the fuck, man? Like, I'll do something, and then, like, it, it worked. Why did it work? Well, I thought it was going to work. We better do it again. You do it again. Well, it didn't work. Why didn't it work? I don't know, man. The bacteria weren't feeling it today. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's like, and, like, sometimes... Like, this is the fun part to me. Sometimes you get that feeling. You're like, it's just not going right today. I'm going to double this. I'm going to do this twice. Like, just get, go ahead. Just get, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I get a little, I get a little left. I'm going to make it into the batch. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, 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 transformations. You know, it's like you can just sort of, like, you have your routine transformations. But then it's like, something's off today. I'm going to double the number of cells. Fuck it. Because it's like... You know, streak one more plate or streak one more plate day after tomorrow. Yeah. And so exactly. No, that's the thing. You gotta like you gotta like start stacking it. Right. Um yeah. and so like the thing that I the thing, So the thing that I've been talking about lately and like the concept that I've been trying to get across to these people, um, is that like if you want to talk about genetic engineering as a technology. Like, it's right. an alien technology. Like, not in as a, like, oh, God, it came from the stars kind of thing. But, like, we, plan, we didn't make this technology. We're reverse engineering it. Yeah, like, we're reverse engineering it. Like, this this thing right here, 
totally a completely powerful device. If you get enough people in the room, um, they can explain every single thing about how that works. This right. thing right here. Right. Or even um, this little guy. Yeah, right? That little guy right there. It's like, they're, well, we, we know that if you hit it, it falls over. Like, <laughs> that's a good start. That's a, that's a great start. I wouldn't say that you're ready to like start, you know, making the Ubermensch or something like that, but you know, you figured out how to make glowing alcohol, which is cool. Right. Yeah. But it's like, it's the same way that like when people talk about, uh, neuro, right. Shit. And, and brain simulation. They're like, yeah, man, we're going to simulate the brain. It's like, Dude, we have no idea how the fuck this works. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you'll come closer to simulating a computer on a brain than you will a brain on a computer anytime soon. Well, of course, because it's like, you know, it's 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 the direction of the technology. Yeah. <laughs> We're good at simulating computers. We made computers. Right? It makes sense. <laughs> Nobody knows what the fuck the brain is doing. It's this like weird bag of goo that's making and like noise. And here's the crazy thing to me about the brain. This is why, like, you hear about people wanting to like hack their brain chemistry or um, like even their genetics to change their brain's behavior. But it's like, dude, mm -hmm. like that's you might not be able to go back, like. That's that's a dangerous well, fucking road. It, well, and on top of that, like I mean, okay, so if you're if you're talking about genetic, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I would I would say that kind of the if you're going to be doing any biological hacks, plug and play is the way to go. You know, you can slot it in, you can slot it out. Yeah. Like, never never make a hack that you can't turn off. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Um, so even if it's just like, put it in tissues you can afford to lose. Right. But like, when people talk about hacking their brain chemistry, like, we're, I do that all the time. It's called alcohol. Uh, <laughs> right? Or coffee. Yeah, or coffee, or, or chocolate, or a goddamn ham sandwich. You know? Like, I... You get someone who is, but we have a lot of field trials for ham sandwich, dude. And 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 the studies show that if you do not eat a goddamn ham sandwich every once in a while, <laughs> you get hangry, and that's bad. <laughs> right. I mean, I've had friends that are like, "I am so upset right now." I'm like, "When's the last time you ate?" They're like, right? I don't know. I had some almonds earlier. I'm like. Go eat a sandwich. Let's talk in half an hour. And they're like, I feel so much better. I'm like, ha ha, biohack. <laughs> right. And like, and like, sleep is impressive to me. Oh. Like it's so funny. Like, if you don't get enough sleep, all the ridiculous everything like, mental everything defects you accumulate in just a few hours. Oh, you turn into a total fucking turnip. <laughs> it's like, okay, I have to math, but I can't math. <laughs> have, have you 
Have you tried to do polyphase? No. I once tried to do polyphase, despite the fact that every piece of evidence points to polyphase just being long-term abusive to your system. Right. Turns out polyphase is totally long-term abusive to your system. Right. Fun fact, sleeping is good. Yeah, now I have done where, like I was working on a book once. Um, I was trying to make a deadline and I had I spent like a week sleeping every other day and it was Ooh. complete garbage. Like I remember I would sit there at night and I would just watch words just sort of scroll up in front of me and spend all night mm -hmm. getting nothing done. Mm -hmm. Finally, I had this hallucination about like a man with like oatmeal for a face. And I was like, it's time for bed. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's the thing. It's time for bed. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're supposed to be having a, a, an actual specific conversation about a thing. Sorry, <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to bring it, bring it home here, right? and kind of sitting in the background, yeah. giggling. I was just having fun. Yeah. Where, um, where are you located, by the way? Me? Yeah. Mississippi. Oh, dude, we're mostly neighbors now. Oh yeah, yeah. Gabriel's right. in Jacksonville. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, you're like within a reasonable drive. Yeah, within a reasonable drive, as opposed to on the other side of the country. Right? Like almost all the other biohackers. It's like there's no biohackers in the southeast. Everybody's either the northeast right. or the west. Yeah, no, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to that's one of the reasons that I want to get something started up here. Like Right. I mean, this place is great for growing stuff. You want an incubator? Like right. stick it outside. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, Matt. It's like, um, it's like 89 degrees in February. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So I was talking to David uh, late at night a couple times over text messaging, and I found uh, our conversations to be really inspiring to me in the sense that uh, uh, engineering mammals genetically seems a lot more viable to me than it did before. It, it. Uh, I mean, this is some of what Gabriel uh, offered me down in Chile. A lot of, a lot of the attitude of like, just do it, and uh, a lot of things actually start working after you try them out. Um, and also, one of the things that uh, David was kind of telling me in a way is that. Uh, I don't know, the risks are a lot of times over you, the average person that hasn't done this before might think that the risks are like oh, huge and totally unknown versus uh, the opposite. A lot of times when I, when I uh, investigate really unusual things that uh, aren't commonly done yet, the risks are not actually that enormous as long as you're really specific and clean about what you're doing. Like, obviously, 
there's all kinds of ways that you can accidentally kill yourself through sepsis or harm other animals unintentionally or intentionally, but um, it doesn't, it isn't necessarily like that. So um, I just wanted to ask David a few questions and uh, talk about the concept of, of the viability. I know one thing that David is doing is he's got like a pretty uh, cool seemingly pop-up operation where you've got a lot of your own equipment and you are actually moving forward in um, both. Oh, I, I don't know exactly the details of what you're moving forward in, but I know it has to do with sperm-mediated gene transfer, um, GFP, there's the hyperuricemia, if I'm saying that right, uh, in, that's in Dalmatians. And uh, I know recently the FDA made some kind of statement to you, but I, I also don't know the details of that and what your, how that's affected your approach at your work. So, um, so I'm working on, on, basically I've got one project with two parts. Well, I've got one really big project with a lot of little parts, but the first part is just um, uh, demonstrate that sperm mediated gene transfer can actually be done uh, with a dog breeder's, um, with things that a dog breeder can get, right? So with the information a dog breeder can get a hold of, uh, with the budget a dog breeder can generate, and with the equipment that a dog breeder can purchase. And so if I can actually produce a transgenic dog, even if the phenotype doesn't change or whatever, um, just the fact that I can get a transgene in a dog in my shit um, should be enough to demonstrate that the technology is there, right? And so, <clears throat> what's that? Proof of concept. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, people ask me why I picked, so it's actually, a lot of people assume, a lot of people who know uh, about um, uh, genetic engineering assume that it's GFP, and that probably would have been smarter. <laughs> but it's actually, I'm going with the, the, the Lux genes. So, um, yeah, I know. We talked know. about this. <laughs> right, I know, right? <laughs> what, what's, what's the thing between Lux genes and GFP? Yeah, so, so GFP is a fluorescent protein, and uh, so you get one, um, you get one, uh, one gene, one protein. It's actually probably way easier. Um, <clears throat> all it has to do is fold into the right shape, then you hit it with blue light, and it fluoresces in a different frequency. Um, so that's real easy, super common marker gene, been done in like everything that crawls, swims, squirms, flaps, and squats so if you um if <laughs> so if you do um if you did do gfp it, it there'd be a lot of um um there'd be a lot of foundation for it right uh but i wanted to do something a little bit better in my opinion and and honestly at the time i had no idea how ridiculously hard that was gonna be <laughs> <laughs> but but we've gone this far, goddammit. So, um, <laughs> so, so, but luckily so, it's already been. So to, so to break it down in, in the, the, the Finn school of scientific explanation, 
GFP is a is a is a highlighter that responds to a black light, and uh, Luke is a is a flashlight. Right. So, so those things are radically different in the complexity. Like like you, I mean, but that's cool. You swung hard, dude. <laughs> right. For sure. Luckily, luckily. So like, and I get it, but luckily. There are mammals that bio, or excuse me, there are animals that bioluminesce. So at least I'm in the right kingdom, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, it's do, it's doable. Yeah, it's just a matter of can you do it in a shed? Well, I think it, it like so. My biggest problems with making things like do luciferous expression is just like the con like your media has to be buffed up so hard like the metabolic requirements are so much brighter like making things express like that right just requires so much more like you need a modified media because if you're just using the same old media like they're going to burn through that and die before you can actually get any good results. Right, right. So, like, it's been done in vivo before, mm -hmm. um, and uh, in mammals, but, and, and they do get, like, results, but the, um, I expect the expression to be pretty low. So what I'm really hoping for is that I can get a picture, even if it's with a time-lapse camera, of a litter of puppies with one of them glowing because if I can get that picture and that's that's really what I'm after is that image right mm -hmm. if I can get that picture then in my head at least that that makes all the dog breeders in the world run out of excuses yeah so when they start saying well it's just too hard to fix hip dysplasia or we don't have the right tools to deal with this genetic disease or that genetic disease you know, I want, I want to do something so ridiculous that when somebody's like, yeah, there's just nothing you can do about this, mm -hmm. people to go, well, that seems crazy because this guy did something nuts. Why can't you fix this one problem? In the garage. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If I can do something that insane, then people who are better funded and all the- Tony Stark built this in a cave. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um... And it, and it really is, uh, especially, so like, it's interesting because I, I feel like there's such a great combination or like, a, like there should be such a great marriage between dog breeders and DIY biohackers. I mean, they're basically the same people, right? Like dog breeders have basically been doing selective modification since they like, for like 40,000 years. Yeah, right? So so this is like this is this is our heritage, man. This is you guys should be friends. Right. Um, there's I, I'm I'm surprised that there's any pushback at all. Um, and there's really much. I mean, I've gotten a little bit Oh, like well that's good then. But honestly, most of the dog breeders that I talked to were like, "Fucking finally, this is what we've been looking for." This is what we've been trying to do. Like a gunny sack full of puppies in the river is just so slow. 
That's so terrible. <laughs> That's it, I mean, come on, though. This is, this is our original genetic engineering technology. It is. It really this is. is. Well, that's actually, this is the, the, the ex, like, when somebody's like, oh, like, blah, 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 GMOs. I'm like, yeah, we've been doing that for a very long time. Right. Like, you don't like GMOs. You don't like genetically modified organisms. Um, please throw away your corgi. Right. Uh, you know, like, we used to be putting puppies in gunny sacks and throwing them to a river. Now we know what we're doing. Right. Like, what's the problem with actually understanding it? There's no, there's no like, subtle beauty to fumbling around in the dark. Right? That's yeah. Exactly. See, okay, here's my thing. Like, that's, to me, the ethics is so goddamn clear, right? Like Absolutely. You're doing the same thing, but with less with fuck up. Better tools and less fuckery. Right. Yeah. So, you know, to me, it should be super, super straightforward. But people, they're like, oh, we've never done that before. So it must be bad. But like, people come up with all these extra ethical dilemmas that don't exist because they, I th honestly, I fucking blame sci fi. And I love sci fi, but I fucking blame sci fi 100%. Because well, no, we have we have a narrative of things going awry. That's how we like to talk about things, right? But I, but I actually think that the biggest problem is like time scales. Like, okay. like we 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 could, we could say it could either be so like the things that we pay attention to are usually macro in scale. Pea plants, right? Trees, dogs, they move slow in right. terms of breeding. Mammals especially. Right. I mean, this is why, like, you don't get any sort of model organisms that are above rat. Right. Um, it's just like it takes too freaking long to breed more rats. <clears throat> but, like, that's on a back... That's what I tell people when they ask me, like, why can't you breed for longevity? It's like really? Like, Do you realize how long it already takes? Um, you know, but on a bacteria, like if you do micro on a bacterial scale, it's like, oh, I, you know, it's been an afternoon. I went through six generations, and so, um, you know, so you you get a better concept of what the scale is, how things are working. And I think that that's the thing. It's like we, we're, we're big lumps of meat. We see things on a big lump of meat scale. Like it's a macro scale. Like, like we, have, we have been at war with bacteria since the Renaissance. Yeah. And so the concept that we could move that fast, that we could do anything other, like we have, we have established what it is to be human and it's not fast no it it's mostly explosive we're good at burning things um and so <laughs> we are very good at that <laughs> we are really good at burning things so this concept of being like speedy and nimble and, and i'm purposely saying it this way i think it is really foreign to us right you know but there's a tremendous amount of the world that is speedy and nimble you know, there's there's a tremendous amount of the world that 
is born and dies within a day or an hour. Most right. of the most important parts of the world do. And, um, and so to, to like embrace that, to be, to be faster, um, I think is, is like, it goes against something that is, that is tremendously human, which is about like establishing things, you know? Right. Yeah. I can see that. And, and yeah. some of it I think is in our, not just in our, I could see some of it being in our nature, but a lot of it I think is also just, it's, it's in the, it's just an echoing process, right? So oh. every time, every time we encounter something new, like I think woven into our nature. So uh, I don't actually know if this is true or not, but I have heard, that mice, like colonies of mice, will like select like a mouse to go test new food. Mm -hmm. And if he don't eat it, variability in the adventurousness of humans. And so I think most humans, like, I think it's safe for the species to by default say, let's just do what we did last generation because we didn't die. That's actually safe for most species. That's not just a people thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so, but, um, and so a small portion of the population innovates and does mm -hmm. something new and will always have resistance from the majority because if the majority just went off in all directions, we'd probably do would, would find something that killed us all. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, we're still there. Don't worry. <laughs> right. But I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, so this is, this is something um, that I've had some really great conversations about lately which is about like the two different ways to um disseminate information right um and, and one of that has to do with like basically like structure or education right right you like you like build a thing right people are pretty good at building things the alternative is basically infection Right. Um, and part of that has to do with consent, to be fair. Right. Um, you know, it, it's like <clears throat> when I first started getting my degree, and I got my degree because I um, well, I, I needed the, the paper to bonk people on the head with so that they would listen. listen. Um, <laughs> I know uh, how that goes. I, I, I talk, they're like, so, so, so like one of my like holy grails is redesign of gut bacteria nice and because like the, the, one of the reasons that shit is so shitty is is that you're you're really wasting a lot of it right. and and most of that digestion is doing not being done by you it's being done by the bacteria in your gut and so um why wouldn't you tweak them? And, and most of the time it turns out they just don't care. Right. Um, and, and that, that, um, I mean, that's the Holy grail for like every genetic engineer. It's like, here's what the thing wants to do. <clears throat> here's what you want it to do. <laughs> and making those two points meet. They don't care. <laughs> exactly. And so, they're, they're diametrically opposed is the term. 
And so, um, you know, figuring out how to like convince bacteria to make a vitamin that we lack is something that people have spent over a decade researching and we're not doing any better now. Right. It's just like the bacteria really give zero fucks about you. Right. <laughs> you, need to, you need to come to terms with this. Um, and so like, like that has always been one of the things that I've, I've wanted to do. And so I, I had some classmates and they're like, so like, why are you doing this? And so I tell them about this redesign of gut bacteria and they're like, and you know, they're freshmen, sophomore in college at the time. And they're like, they haven't, they haven't gotten it beat out of them. And they're like, wait, how would you even test that? Like, what would you do? And I'm like, I don't know, probably just float a paper boat in an aquifer or something. And they're like, that, that, that doesn't sound good. And I'm like, it probably won't work. That's the problem. It's just not going to do it. But like, you know, this is, this is the thing. There's those two alternatives. Alternative one is that you jump through all of the hoops and you do all of the things the way that you want. And then alternative two is that you're just like, okay, this shit needs to happen. Right. Right. And then, and then so the problem is well, and so that's the thing though, like <clears throat> pitchforks and torches works really well in the Frankenstein model because, because like, that's like, that is, that is the, Oh, we can burn out science. Right. Science, like, especially biology, it's an infection. Yeah. You cannot burn out, you know, if something is genetically viable, if it really works, you can't burn that out. I mean, well, we have some evidence of breaking things that genetically work. But that's how we kind of broke the ecosystem. But like if something works well, like we can't burn, I mean, antibiotic resistance. We can't burn bacteria as fast as they breed. Right. Like yeah. there's, there's, there's no, we have no torch. We have no pitchfork that right. runs faster <laughs> than a 30 fucking minute incubation cycle. <laughs> Wait, I, I have a question with regard to the, the dog breeding, too. So mm. the the hyperuricemia, uricemia, yeah. why did that get bred out? And if you're able to re-add the gene, would the dog actually prefer having that mutation and then it would be kept? Oh, that's a good question. That's a real like it seems like an example of a solution that might work based on the problem you guys were just talking about. Hmm. Does anybody know why uh, it left the Dalmatian? Uh, the, so that the, these sorts of um, mutations can be so prevalent in dog populations is because evolution's not a not at play. So. Um, I mean, I guess you could say evolution through human interference, right? But um, the problem is, you start, yeah, I know, right? 
So you start with, but like evolution can't do its good work when we're fucking with it, right? Um, uh, even as harsh as evolution is, um, the end results tend to be good. But uh, with, with like the Dalmatians, for example, they were founded on very, very few individuals. And this is the main problem with pure breeds. You know, people think of breeds the way people think of like ethnic groups, but you really should think of breeds like families, right? So like when you breed two Dalmatians, it's not like breeding two Han Chinese people. It's like I could not hear anything that you just said, David. Yeah, that turned into a two. The I robots overtook. What you're saying, but we lost you, buddy. Okay. Okay. Try again. All right. So, can you hear me? Yeah. Now? Yep. All right. Okay. Okay. So, like, all boxers are descended from one dog named Boxer. Daughters, and then his granddaughters, and his great granddaughters, and so on. Um, until now, they're all just his highly inbred offspring. Um, so, uh, the Dalmatians had a similar formation. I don't think it was one progenitor, but, um, close when enough. You've got, yeah. When you've got an extremely popular sires and completely like no, so when you construct this thing where you take a dog who's diseased and you found a whole breed on him. And even if there's like one or two healthy alleles, which normally would like take over the population, um, selection isn't based on who's the healthiest. It's based on like, this one's pretty because he's got the best spots. So you breed Gunny sacks. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, all the healthy river. And so, population and the small population they have such a show thousands of times of one generation and radically outcompete by massive amounts all the other competitive males do we lose him again yeah yeah we're losing you again but also can you turn your microphone up is that possible david you're really quiet like, like, instead of being a tiny sudden it's the yell kind of is that any better uh say something again how's that yeah, yeah, this, we've got continuity again. Is it possible for for the microphone to be a little bit louder, if I may ask, um, or closer? I would, I would have. Well, it's closer. Okay. But it's just my phone, so I would have to. Um, I understand. Ah, uh, you this from data. Right. 
That's cool. That helped me understand dog breeding a lot better. I didn't know any of that actually. Yeah, yeah. Dog breeding is like a worst case scenario for evolution. Wow. <laughs> it's so true. No, we were at the park like a couple months back, and it was just I was just like, look at all these retarded wolves. It's so. Bad. I know. It's so <laughs> bad. Especially like, oh man, like the toy breeds. Because like, I mean, think about the neoteny. Like people don't think about what genes are required to make a chihuahua, right? Oh, dude. How much you have to break in their growth and development. Right, and then their you, their brain rotates inside their skull, man. Like they've done cat scans. <laughs> Where like the brain is like twisted because they've been so inbred. Right. And like, and like, they have issues with like, and so, and people do such stupid stuff. So you have things like, um, like there's, so they're the only species whose evolution is highly influenced by mythology, right? So like people will just make up bullshit as like a sales pitch and that will have influence on their genetic and on their like genetic outcome years so for example like English bulldogs have an underbite right so like their lower jaw sticks out past their upper jaw and people have argued and like they have the smashed nose people have like dog exactly so dog breeders argue that they rip a bull and breathe at the same time and like a half a second of thinking would go I wonder how wolves grip buffalo then I guess yeah. they just die of a in every time. Yeah. And so they come up with this and, and so like what are the bottom canines doing? How does a how does a vice like a jaw work when it's like this? Like what is all this doing? It's just pushing up against air. There's no grip there. So how does that help grip? Mm. And we're predators out there. If it's so good, why don't why don't all the tigers have underbites? And okay, so being, but like that impacts their genetics. The stories we tell changes mm -hmm. their evolution. Yeah, development of a narrative is like how we kick the shit out of most things, evidently. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so I have to ask you this question. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Mac. Um, so I read this really great article about backbreeding of aurochs. You're breaking up. You, yeah, you didn't break up for me. You're uh, breaking up. Am I breaking up? Okay, can, can you hear me now? Yes, yes, now okay. Cool, just a little slow. All right, so aurochs, you know aurochs? Yeah, the bull. Giant fucking cow. Yeah, cow. Yeah, well, not anymore. Um, like ur cow, the the primal cow from whence cows came. And so they were doing a backbreeding program, where they um, sequence. They had an auric sequence. They got it back in '67. That's when the last auric died. 
And these are like these, uh, you know, they're like two meters at the shoulder, like demon cows. Um, and so what they did was they so like I missed the radical majority. <laughs> but I think I... They're big. They're really big and they're mean. Yeah. Right? Because here's the thing. Like if you're a cow, like a pack of wolves will destroy you. So like if you're a large herbivore, you need to be like some sort of machine, you know? And so that's what the original cows were. There's actually like a French, there's like French songs, like folk songs about like the demon cow of whatever the fuck. Um, and it's just like these really like, right. like two meter tall cattle that are angry and their, their horns are this big, like each horn. Not not both of them together. Each horn is this big. They're like these monsters. <laughs> right. And so what they've done is they they have this the Oroch sequence, and then they found a bunch of cattle. And instead of doing selective breeding to go towards like more docile or like fatter, plumper moo, um they've been they like right. they breed a generation and then they do a DNA test and then they see how close that generation matches the auric and then they select it like they're, they're it's called yeah then then they selectively backbreed to get so they're they're saying that they can basically get back to like these terminator cows in seven <laughs> generations and they're already four generations down wow so so i've been told Wow. And and they already tested it. They like took their fourth generation uh what do they call them? What do they call them? Taros. They called them Taros. And they put them out to pasture in an area that was known to be populated with wolves because science. And so Right. Um it was like normal cows could not survive in this area. These guys were just like, I'm just going to kick the shit out of some wolves. It's cool. Whatever. Um, so right. the, the original, so I've been told that the original breeding pair of wolves, like all dogs in the world come from one breeding pair of wolf. This is like the genetic, evidence that that i've that i've been shown and, and i've heard about but this type of wolf is now extinct so is 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 backbreeding also an option do you think you could not to say that not to say that like this isn't the like a much more elegant tool but the combination of the two. Yeah. So welcome to my whole project, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I've been doing for the last. Um, the original Mastiff, right, mm -hmm. was a war dog and yeah. they were bred for catching dangerous game, like yeah, wild like boar and stuff like that. 
So <laughs> nowadays, they're big, giant, fat, fluffy puppies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, so so my whole like the whole idea was to return them to their original form as they were like 2000 years ago. So if you look at my website, you will find um, uh, paint carvings and paintings and stuff of, of Mastiffs as they were. Uh, one especially that I like was was uh, on like a raised relief uh, Assyrian carving from like 2000 years ago, a lion hunt. And so they had these monstrous dogs. I, but they're fit and trim and they have like little waists and like their ribs are carved and they've got like striation. Fantastic mm-hmm. Like fat and like all of those. Um, so uh, Mastiffs were, ath- were athletes. They were powerful working animals. And um, so that's, so back breeding and doing um, for years now. And so I'm on, like, some of my puppies are generation nine. And after nine generations, there's pretty spectacular difference. It's really crazy how much, it's, so especially when you, like, uh, breed broadly. So you select from a variety of, of breeds that are descended from that primal mastiff, right? Of course. You breed that population that still has like all the alleles, mm-hmm. and then you select your way back up the tree. Have you have you done much sequencing work? No, oh. none at all, because it's expensive as shit. Maybe it's cheaper so it's than all based on phenotype and working ability. Yeah. So so far, it's all been traditional breeding. Um, well, I have done a little bit of genotyping in the shed here. Mm-hmm. My PCR, but uh, not uh, not anything that would. It's tell not going to give you the evidence that, like, it's not going to give you the info that you need. Yeah, I mean, that, if somebody uh, wants to pony up money for whole genome sequencing all my dogs, I would totally take it. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is this is kind of like, like this is the research that's being done now. They're doing it with cows. Right. It's like, and, and I totally res- respect and understand the need for large, like macro species herbivores. They're super crucial. It's like this. This is really good. You should definitely check out. Like, you should find those people. I'm going to send you a link. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Please do. Um, not now, though, because everything's been really patchy. I'm just going to make a note on my phone to send you a link. Yeah. Please. Yeah. That's why I didn't. Timer, bad things will happen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to uh, taint the discussion, but I'm also, I just wanted to offer one bit of knowledge and a, and a question. Um, the first Oryx breeding project I heard about or I knew about huh. and, it was by the Nazis. Yeah, it was by the Nazis. <laughs> uh, it was it, the government, the military paid for it because they saw it as a a national pride piece if they could develop the oryx back to its you know full ancient pride <laughs> in the german wild forests um 
I, I know that yeah. the other militaries, uh, they do fund research on dog breeding and genetic engineering to make better war machines or maybe even uh, smelling for detection of so-and-so, whatever. I, I Just a speculation. Would How, how do you feel about um, why are you breeding these dogs? And would you take money from the DOD if it would help your project? That's okay. So that's two complex questions. All right. So, um, why am I breeding them in the first place? Um, originally, I was breeding them for myself. Um, so, I was raised breeding dogs. Um, my, um, uh, uh, we mostly bred hunting dogs, beagles and such. But, um, uh, so, so I was always raised with that and I always really enjoyed that process. Like, you can breed beagles to be too tall or to have too much, uh, too much nose, right? So their, their nose is, they, their sense of smell is too good. That's really cool. Um, That's these were bred for weird. <laughs> yeah. And it's because it depends on your hunting style, right? So if their sense of smell is too good, they'll run cold trails. They'll go chase yesterday's rabbit again because they still smell it. And so, uh, or if they get too tall, they'll run too fast and they'll catch your rabbit before you can. So the, um, and then there's nothing left of the rabbit. The, um, the, uh, so it's, it's, so I was always around that and it was, and it always really interested me in the, the shaping and designing part of it. Um, like you were talking about dog breeders should be like the natural, uh, should naturally evolve into, into like biohackers, right? Absolutely. Agree. That's what happened. Because like dog breeders are organism designers, right? That's what they do. They design yeah. organisms, and make them. And so the, um, so, so when I, so go, I had an attempted home invasion when I was living in Jackson. And, um, so two guys tried to get in with shotguns. Luckily I had my gun and they didn't want to be in a shotgun fight any more than I did. So they ran away. Um, but it really freaked me out because I was worried what would have happened if I hadn't been there. Like if I had just been at the gas station, you know, they would have gotten in the house and it would have just been my wife and kids. And uh, I didn't want that. So uh, we started looking at dogs and I remembered my neighbors having mastiffs years ago. And I remember a pair of Neos chasing me for about a quarter mile and scaring the hell out of me um, that my neighbors had, Neo Neapolitan mastiffs. Um, but I also knew my brother had one and she was a terrifying animal. She was um, extremely powerful, very protective, but extremely loving and very stable and very, um, a dog you could really trust. And so I wanted that. I want something I could trust with my children. I didn't want something dominant and ranky and aggressive like that, but I wanted something that was going to be extremely protective and extremely loving. Are you guys still there? I can't tell. Wow. Yes. Okay, cool. Okay, Keep my going, screen went blank. Okay. So, just muted my muted myself to like cut out data. Trying to trying to give you all the all uh, the talking. Okay.
Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, we seem to have limited bandwidth anyway. Um, it's probably this storm overhead, by the way. The um, uh, so what happened was I um, uh, started looking around and looked into mastiffs. Uh, first thing, of course, looked into neos, and I realized they were train wrecks. They had been AKC uh, recognized in the interim between when I knew them as a child and and when I needed to get one, and they were a mess. I mean, they had like. 50 pounds of extra skin and crap and just folds and folds of extra skin and all this crazy distorted breeding and like really high instances of hip dysplasia, heart problems, thyroid problems, eye problems. And it's just ridiculous how much the breed had just been destroyed. And so um, I started looking into crosses, hybrids, because we did that. I mean, even, even breeding beagles, like we had some like blue ticked beagles and stuff because we bred them for work, not for um, not for show or any crap like that. So I was looking at dogs who were healthier. And so uh, we st I started looking around and just decided to, um, to create, uh, to sort of fix them, basically. Um, I just wanted to, to put them back right. And so that's what I did. And it took a long time. And I'm still not done done. There's a lot to do. Um, it's a, but, uh, so that's why I'm breeding them because I want one Mastiff as the Mastiffs were. And so, but the necessary byproduct of that is like, they tend to have litters of 12. So I have lots of extra puppies. So I sell the puppies, people buy them that feeds my dogs. I continue to make it. So like my goal is when my daughter turns 16, uh, to give her one for her to spend the next two years training. And I want, by the time she turns 16, to have produced the best possible working animal who I can trust, not only trust the animal to be stable with her and be uh, good with her and her kids and those sorts of things, but also like have a long, healthy life. And, and also that I can trust to actually act and turns 18 and moves out. And if she's living like off somewhere or something like that he's got something that can really pretend you know, I can count on because I can't be there and so then that's about the time for my son to turn 16 and we'll start the same thing with him but I want them for me what I'm doing it um, why uh, but would I take money from the DOD they are not necessarily suitable for me so they would ever care uh, really if you're in the department of defense shepherds um maybe the occasional rottweiler and then like for like scent work maybe some labs and maybe a beagle if you can deal with the baying um but the issue really isn't um so it's not people think military dog they think you want the biggest and the baddest but you really don't um war dog and most war dogs uh, are not active in like battles. Most war dogs are like on patrol at bases and stuff. So uh, what you really want them mostly for is, is there, um, you want dogs that will walk round and round and round all day, all night on their shift and not get tired, not be lazy. You don't want a dog who cares about being playful or anything like that. You want a dog who just wakes up thinking, let's go work and finally passes out thinking, okay, we did a lot of work.
And so Malinois are good for that because they're like 50 pounds all day and all metabolisms, crazy high prey drive. They're hard to handle, hard to deal with, and I don't recommend them around children. But um, uh, because they're not protective, they just kill everything that moves. And if it moves, the, um, and so some of these Malinois and like, I have trained with, I trained with one, uh, it was actually a Treverian, which is similar to a Malinois, which is similar to a German Shepherd if you don't know what a Malinois is. And this dog had been a military dog. It was in the, I think it was at an Air Force base. Uh, wound up as an NYPD dog, um, bit the chief of police and got shipped down to Mississippi. <laughs> and so he was, um, but this was one of the hardest dogs I've ever seen. Fantastic working dog, don't get me wrong. But the handler had to have him on, a, the handler was this huge police officer, you know, massive guy. Um, had to have the dog on a pinch collar with prongs poking into his neck. And he had to yell in German, like these extremely loud commands and just snatch this dog so that he like whips 180 degrees around to get any kind of compliance out of the dog. The dog's just seething with rage when he sees somebody. The top. So my dogs are not like that. That's, that's what you're looking for. What you're looking for in like a family protection dog is a dog who is... Um, Basically, Mastiffs will protect you because they love you so much. You want Balto? Right, right. You want the good dog. So, so my dogs, like if you came here and you pointed a camera at them, and people have, so you'll see it like on the documentary and stuff, they look real scary. They're jumping and barking and they're like foaming at the mouth. And if you look at my videos on my website, they look real scary if you see them biting somebody. The... Uh, but the thing to remember is like, my kids can like, I can trust them to like tug on their ears and play with their tongue and, you know, climb all over them and surprise them when they're asleep. And I never have to worry. And if I leave my kids in the backyard, they'll just go out there and lay down next to them and watch. Go in the front yard, they'll follow them over there and watch. If something strange comes up, they'll respond and make good choices. And if need be, they'll hurt somebody. And my dogs have. My dogs have hospitalized people that broke into their owner's houses. And so it's, it's the kind of thing where it's a dog that, for the most part, will sleep on your couch and love your kids. And when needed, will hurt somebody if they need hurting. So All that's right. why I'm doing it. And that's why I don't think the DOD would be interested. That's so, a really complete answer. Amazing. Thanks. Hi, David. Uh, my name's Mike. I've been listening in. And um, you know, I was curious, actually. I'm more interested in small dogs. I actually like uh, Pomeranians. <laughs> and, you know, they get too big um, from when they're a puppy. I was wondering if you've, you know, what your thoughts are on a, on a way to basically stunt their growth. To make Pomeranians even smaller? Well, to stay small. Pomeranians, they're like this big. Already. <laughs> I wanted to fit my pocket. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, what? <laughs> okay. So you probably could like completely shatter their growth uh, hormones in, in such a way that they would be like um, little <laughs> balls of nothing. But the problem is there are there are fundamental physiological limits, right? 
So I would say that the Chihuahua, as you can reasonably get a dog, right? They have, they have too many structures that need to be changed. It's not just about growth hormones anymore. So like you look at uh, German Shepherds with pituitary dwarfism, which is another gene we should fix by genetic engineering. But pituitary dwarfism, or at least gene therapy, um, uh, basically the pituitary gland doesn't work. They don't get much in the way of growth hormones. But growth hormones don't just make you grow. So they also control all sorts of development. So you look at a, at a German shepherd who's like, I've got one on my website. If you look at midgardmastiffs.com, I've got one on my website. So it's a, it's a dwarf German shepherd with pituitary dwarfism. He's missing patches of hair. He looks like he's about nine weeks old, but he's 10 months old. It's like skinny and like all messed up. So you with genetic engineering, but why on earth would you want to? So the problem is, even if you were to like shrink them, that's not just one change. That's lots and lots of things. You make them really a smaller species. And at some point, you're going to have to give up complexity because complexity is not free. So as you make their brains smaller and smaller and smaller, their brains are going to have to get simpler and simpler and simpler. So if you wanted a dog that could like fit on the palm of your hand, he wouldn't be a dog. He'd have the brain of a mouse. Wow. So at that point, you've basically made a mouse from a dog. So you may as well just get a mouse. Good answer. Thank you. So I think, uh, you know, pr probably the Chihuahua is about the ultimate expression of as small as you can squeeze a dog without it just dying. And as annoying as you can squeeze a dog. I no, it's like, I mean, well, that's the thing. It's like <clears throat> you can only compact compact the cells, the neural cells of a dog so much. I mean, they're super resilient, robust creatures, but like like every tiny dog that believes that it's a big dog is actually literally a tiny dog that believes it's a big dog. You have basically abused a creature into a tiny, tiny shell while it still just wants to be a wolf. Right. It's really it, messy. And, and on the flip side, the same thing goes for, for increasing size. So I would say the Mastiffs as they are, like especially the big Mastiffs, 200 plus, are, are about as big as you can reasonably make a dog without making a huge number of genetic edits. Because, you know, the dogs that were originally domesticated were about 40, 50 pounds, or the wolves that were originally domesticated. And so to make them 200 plus, we haven't done sophisticated genetic changes on them. We've basically just jacked up their growth hormones. And so you start, you start to see all the similar problems to giantism. They have shorter lifespans and they have heart problems and they have all this sort of stuff, right? And so when you, if you say, well, I'm just going to give them huge amounts of growth hormones and huge numbers of growth receptors and we'll just, we'll just make them the size of, of a horse. Uh, they wouldn't survive. They couldn't stand up. They're, this they're, is this they're, the, they're this is the common wrong. this is the common issue that people uh, have when they, they talk about cybernetics. They're like, "Yeah, I just I just want an arm that can punch through a cinder block." And I'm like, "Okay, so you're going to have a shoulder that can do that too?" Right. I mean, like the arm is connected to the shoulder. Okay, I'll, I'll have a shoulder. All right. Well, then you need a spine. Right. And so like, there is no <clears throat> like fun middle ground where you can 
like suddenly lift 500 pounds, but you haven't like completely and absolutely altered every structure in your body. And it's the same thing with all of these tremendously altered species where it's like, okay, so you want a 400 pound dog? I mean, that's cool, but, but like, I mean, have you ever considered just getting a horse? Right, or a bear. <laughs> or a bear. Feed the bear, fed bear is friendly. Fed, fed, I, I've seen many Russian video. Honestly, honestly, I think it would be easier to genetically engineer bears to be friendly than it would be to be dogs the size of bears. This sounds like a wonderful project. Polar bear? Like, who really loves you and just wants to lick your face. No, 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 no. Ursus, Ursus. You know, like we gotta go. We gotta go for the the hor horrible bear bear. <laughs> I don't know. Like I really feel like the polar bear is the worst of all possible bears. Well, but the polar bear is kind of like a a fleeting species. Is this particular red hot second? Right. I, <laughs> I mean, they're they're basically dying for having no place to, to hang out. Um, I wouldn't fuck with a polar bear right now. They're on, they're on, they're on dire straits. We, we All right, guys. Life as domestic. I want to, uh, I want to talk about tools and methods now. Like, okay. Like, uh, David was telling me about this thing called a polyethylenamine. And, uh, I wanted to know, how it worked and why it's useful. And it's just a positively charged polymer, basically. And so they make different, so originally they were using like branched. And so it, it was like a snowflake and, and they ran into a lot of like toxicity issues. Um, but you can get like chemically all altered one strands of, of monomers that are positively charged. And so uh, as a, it's, it's just one of many transfection reagents, right? Um, but it's an interesting approach because basically what you do is you, uh, you take your DNA strand, right? And you polyplex it. So what you're doing is you take a bunch of these um, positively charged polymers and you take your DNA, which is a negatively charged polymer, And you, you smash them together, but when it's when it's negatively and positively and so, charged, how does that just make it transfect better? Imagine you had a like a plastic. So you have to do something to get through that that force. So you can do that by either that reduce the charge, or you can do things like sort of structural things, like like wrap it in a liposome, or you can do things like just jam it in there with high force, like like with a gene gun, just smash it in there, um, or you can do things 
uh, like viruses do and, and actually have like a mechanism where it grips the cell and injects and these sorts of things. Um, but, uh, or you can sort of trick the cell into eating it, but the, uh, the, the PEI cool solution to me because, um, it's relatively inexpensive compared to some methods, depending on where you get it. And you can, uh, you can transfect cells that don't necessarily want to be transfected. And so there's really to transfecting like a eukaryote. If you're going to just dump some DNA in, in bacteria, don't worry about it. Just get some like calcium chloride and throw it in there. Um, but if you're like, okay, let's do like a mammal cell, then you need to get through the mammals, not only the cell membrane, but the nuclear membrane. So you take your DNA and you polyplex it. And so it's got all these, um, it's got a net positive charge. So you can sort of take if you want it to be those between DNA. So you make it more positive. actually now complex is attracted to the cell wall or cell membrane. Then it, it gets getting to the very hard if you're just throwing naked DNA cells. There's barriers against just random bits of DNA getting in there. They'll get in there just because like everything happens when you do stuff. But the um, it'll be extremely inefficient. And 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 so even with like PEI, it's not as efficient as like viruses because you don't have like active machinery making things happen because viruses are like crazy tiny nanotech um but uh but you also don't have the immune response if you're doing things like gene therapy uh or if you're doing things like with sperm mediated gene transfer if you try to use virus on sperm uh, then you're injecting that into a, a female's uh body right so her immune system is going to respond to that All right, David. I uh, I didn't hear all of that. There, there were there were large sections that were destroyed by the uh, you know the internet connection. But it sounded like PEI was an easy to get reagent that was reasonably effective. And when you polyplex DNA with it, it causes less of an immune response when you inject it into a tissue or a sperm sample. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And is there like and a course, hierarchy? Go ahead. I'll say, of course, this, I'm not worried about the sperm. It's, it's sperm's going in a uterus, so inflammation or or issues like that. But all in there. Important when method mediated gene transcription enzyme mediated integration. Too many mediated. Um, uh, in order to do restriction enzyme mediated integration, one of the weird 
transfer wind up in the target animals, but it will be, even if it's linear plasmid, it will be in all tissues, but it Hello? Coming in. Beep, beep. Uh, yeah, on this note, I am going to, uh, I'm going to have to sign off. It's, it's late-ish here. Yeah, at, yeah. I'm feeling similar. We're, we're like, we're falling apart. The, the connection is being broken. Which yeah. is a bummer because now we're getting down to the technical stuff. Right, right. So, so may I suggest um, that we have a, 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 a text chat conversation that kind of hashes all this out? That sounds good. Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, it looks like David is lost in limbo. <laughs> For real. Um, it's just his face being like really serious about gene transfer. Um, so, so let's, let's, let's come back to this and let's talk about this and let's do it. Like, let's do it all by text. Let's just like hammer it out yeah. frantically on the keyboard. Beep, 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 beep. Okay. Yes. Like that. Uh, thanks for, thanks for popping in and having this roundabout discussion about, you know, biohacking and stuff. Yeah, thank you guys. I learned a hey. lot. Gabriel, are you coming to uh, Austin for South by? Uh, absolutely not. Okay. Yeah. Because South South by has said that they're going to uh, call immigration. Yes. What do you think? So so like so like you will deport artists. For yeah. They're gonna, so is South by is going to deport people. Um, that that's a death knell for me. Uh, fuck y'all. What does that mean? That they'll deport artists for playing outside of. If, if South by paid for their visa to come play in the U.S. or South by, and they find out that an artist played anywhere else except for South by, because of the exclusivity agreement, they feel it's within their authority to call ICE to get. Oh, that's artists. so stupid of them! Like considering that's crazy. Yeah. So no, like as far as I'm concerned, like, like last year, it wouldn't be a big deal. But this year, it's so politically charged; it's retarded to say. Yeah, no, Selfie can set themselves on fire. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, no, I'm, ha I'm happy. I'm, yeah, I'm know. super down with not being here for Selfie this month. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know we're gonna have like a really fantastic eclipse down here, dude. From the 16th to the 21st. Yeah, the total solar eclipse in August. Or uh -huh. yeah, I'm. I've been waiting. I've been pumped about it for the last year. I, I want to go. Uh, I'm gonna go to the Grand Tetons. I think. Oh really? Yeah. Everybody's really excited. We've got like, 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 I think a dozen people are coming down to Jacksonville. Cool. Well, because like David, of your here, friends or of, of David and May's friends. Well, David and May's friends, and then Justin and I, and Jordan, of course, and then like other Exosphere people. It's basically there's just a huge amount of people that are going to be coming down to Florida. Cool. Is Artem coming up, or is that 
Artem, Artem is considering it. Artem, Artem is ready to come work for the makerspace as soon as the makerspace can pay him. Okay. Which I explicitly said was probably I don't know, dude. Like we have no money. I'm 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 not I'm not Exosphere. I'm not going to tell you that I can like pay. Hey, 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 we're still we're still broadcasting here. I don't want to get into Exosphere. No. Okay. No. I'm just I'm just saying like. You know, no, the the makerspace is its a own thing. And, um, you know, Artem, Artem may uh, may come down for funsies. Um, but he's also really excited about coming down f permanently. Um, but we need to make some, you know, we need to actually do something. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I wouldn't feel comfortable telling anybody to come down. All right, Gabriel. Yeah. Uh, I hope to, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see you on text chat. Thanks for, you're a great inspiration in terms of, uh, being pumped up about, about this and, you know, speaking yeah. easily. So. Yeah. Thank you. See, see you soon. Also, another reminder for you, our dear listeners, if you'd like to hear similar conversations as to what we have just shared previously with you, uh, there are a couple options. Attend one of the Proface Bio Studios meetups, which are often held at the Austin Hacker Space in Austin, Texas, or by turning in, tuning in to further episodes of the Dangerous Minds podcast, Though, if you like the program that we share with you and the work that we are doing in the community, please support us by going to our Patreon page and becoming a supporter at www.patreon.com forward slash dangerous minds. Please feel free to reach out to us with any questions or comments. Uh, you're welcome to find us at dangerousminds.io or our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Dangerous Minds Podcast. And perhaps one day we might talk to you about the work and our projects you're exploring and developing. Until next week, seek the spark. Scientific progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead. Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology as we know it is.